Baseball is back. It's opening weekend here on the Indie Ball Report podcast. Today we'll break down the first two days of games in the Atlantic League and preview the upcoming week. We'll splash some news from the past two weeks in as well. So grab a bat and set up to the batter's box because this is the Indie Ball Report podcast. Alright, we're back again. Episode number 13, the luckiest of all numbers. Number 13. And we finally have real baseball to talk about, which is always a welcome sight. So we're going to go ahead and just give you a quick preview of what's going to be on the show this week, and then we'll go ahead and dive into it. Uh, The first half of the show is going to be focusing solely on the first weekend of play in the Atlantic League this week. However, if you're still wanting to hear the news and whatnot of what else is going around the league and other information like that, that will be the second half of the show, probably after seventh inning, which we're finally going to bring back this week after that being on a two-week hiatus. So with that being said here, we'll dive right into it. We'll start with opening day in Sugarland, which saw the Blue Crabs taking on the Skeeters. Skeeters got their rings, got all that jazz going on, raised their pennant, all the good stuff happened then. And we saw the first of the rule changes really impact the game in the shift rule. So the shift rule... As we know now, is two guys on either side of second base at all times. It basically kills the shift as you can't put a guy there. And we saw during the one inning, James Lowing hit a ground ball. He was fielded. He was out. However, he was ruled safe at first because of an illegal defensive shift. However, when you do look back at it, it doesn't really look like an illegal shift. It looks like he was fine, although close. So this makes me think this is going to be the one rule that it's really going to get under everybody's skin this year. Yep, I mean, I called it. I mean, you said, no way, this rule's not going to make any difference. Well, 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 here we go, day one. We're going to check the archive day on that one. call. Day one, I told you the shift rule was going to make a big difference. This rule is going to make a surprisingly big difference, I think. I, I see this not being as much of an issue later on in the year. In the beginning part, it's going to be hard to adjust to it. However, I could see this really not having much effect come July. I think for the first two months, it's going to really be an impact rule. However, that may affect later on. I just, I don't think it's going to be that long one, but it is the one that everyone's going to complain about the most. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it could have an impact. It depends. Uh, like, I, like I said in, in previous episodes, I think that the, the idea of it could hurt uh, in things like this in terms of like James Loney. I mean, James Loney is going to pull the ball. I mean, that's, you know, that's what he does. Uh, and so obviously you want to move things, uh, players over to, to stop that pull and can't do that anymore. Yeah, no, I can see that being a problem. It's definitely going to be an issue later on. I'm not necessarily sure on the shift if it's really going to be that big later on. I think the main problem with it is how it's being implemented. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it could have an impact later on in terms of, you know, you could see a guy who fields the ball. Uh, onto, you know, the other side of second base, and, you know, it'll be close, and then people will be able to argue about it. It certainly will make it more interesting and more difficult uh, to play in the middle infield. Yeah, and no, I will do that, but at the same time, I think the main problem is going to be if you have mistakes like we saw in Sugarland, calling something a shift when it's not a shift. Just at least from the camera angle we saw, it certainly looked like there's two guys on either side of second base, and if that's the case, then that's not a shift. 
That's it, just been playing slightly over more. But that's going to be a, a call in the game that umpires have to make, and umpires are human beings, and it's hard mm. to tell, you know, oh, was this guy playing on, uh, you know, on the, si- on the right side of second base, the left side, you know, or is he down the middle, or were there two guys on either side? It's a, it's a hard call to make, and, you know, if he doesn't, the umpire doesn't get it right, you know, you're going to see things like this happen over and over again. You know, I mean, it's, once again, I think that's why it's going to be the role that drives everyone crazy. Well, I originally thought that was going to be the mound, and then the mound got moved back, and even now, the more I think about it, I think it's going to be the kind of thing that there's just a lot of noise around people not liking it, and rightfully so. There's many reasons not to like it, and objectively speaking, there's not much terrible gain from moving it back, but regardless of that, it's the kind of thing that eventually you'll just get used to. You'll come to terms with it, and you'll it'll be just complaining about it, saying they should have never done it, but you won't really do much later on. This is the role that people are going to just point to and go, this affects the game a lot. I mean, yeah, it hurts the quality of play. I mean, it does. I mean, you can't make plays on either side of the bag. Uh, you know, you can't shift a guy over and make plays on that side of a bag. It's, it's going to be difficult for teams that know a lot about certain players. I mean, the guys that have these tendencies to pull the ball or hit the ball the other way, one way or the other, and those shifts are in place for a reason. A lot of times they work. If you see in the major leagues, it happens hmm. all the time. These shifts work. That's why they're, they're used. Uh, and so it really is unfortunate that you're going to have things like this happening. Although, like you said, I do think after a period of time, it will become part of the game, and, and eventually it will kind of be, become hmm. integrated within it. Hmm. Which is only interesting I note on the broadcast last night, which is Friday night. It was funny how the Sugarland announcer kind of was talking about the rule changes and whatnot. It's like, Everyone keeps calling them time-saving changes. I look at them as more just keeping the flow of the game moving changes, and I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that. I don't think it's so solely about keeping the game flowing. I think it's about reducing game time. That's the explicit purpose. Uh, besides the obvious and that time between innings going down, there's the shift really had that much more time. I personally don't think it does. I think it should just be one of those where the pitcher still has the same amount of time to deliver the ball to home plate. If you're not set up, then tough. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if the, I don't even know if the shift is a time issue as much as a quality of play issue because hmm. a lot of people get frustrated because like, it reduces offense. Right, it reduces offense, and you see guys, full happy guys like in the in the majors, Chris Davis, hmm. who's you know always going to pull the ball. I mean, very rarely does hmm. he go the other way, and so it's very difficult now for him to get a hit on the ground because you know he's just going to get he's going to hit right into the shift. Um, well, it's difficult for Chris Davis to get a hit. Oh, yeah, it's difficult for Chris Davis to get a hit. As long as we're playing Baltimore, Chris Davis, right, not we're talking Oakland. Baltimore. Yeah, like, not Oakland. Um, but yeah, no, it, but in any way, in any effect, it's still that the, the, uh, the shift is really something that hurts quality of play for offense, like you're saying, hmm. but also by the same token, it does a great job of keeping pitchers in games longer and things like that. And hmm. I don't know if it has much to do with time at all because I don't I really don't know how much time it takes for these guys to shift because they know they have everything in the game plan beforehand. Okay. Yeah, so. especially by the time you get to like June or July. You've been doing it so much now. You've seen everybody that's playing at least two or three times. So you know, okay, it's this guy. I move over three feet over here. I go from normal shortstop to the other gap. And you just kind of know how you're going already. So it's, it's interesting there, but yeah, that's yeah. an interesting categorization of that that was made during the broadcast. I don't know if that's, uh, that's yeah. necessarily the correct categorization. There. Yeah, I feel like it's almost just a mandate coming from up top. Yeah. Where it's just, if you're talking about it, talk about it in a positive light. Which right. <laughs> I can understand saying that because you don't want to, after just going into a deal with Major League Baseball, go, 
these changes suck. We shouldn't have found them, and they're terrible. Yeah, and it's only right. solely to be a test ground and to be guinea pigs for a different level. You right. definitely don't want to do that. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're going to talk about it, give it a spin. Yeah, you know? yeah there you go. Think about it. So, in any case, let's move on to the actual game that was played on Friday and talk a bit about that. Uh, South Maryland just beat the hell out of them. Uh, it was just all South Maryland from the beginning. Any thoughts on the... Uh, yeah, I mean, th- this game was weird. Um, you know, Southern Maryland really kind of took off a little bit on them. The offense looked really good for them. Um, they played well, but you know, it's a, it, it, you know, baseball's a in- interesting game. And, you know, sometimes not not always the uh, the, the best team uh, takes it. So yeah, no, I, the thing that surprised me is the offense really came out swinging. And as you're going to see in the uh, preview that will go up sometime soon, and I'll address the lack of previews that have been coming out at the end of the video, or at the end of the podcast, not video, I'm still in preview mode. Uh, and again, the thing that really struck me was the offense, because I noted that it's kind of a problem on the team. I thought that was going to be an issue. But I got to say, they've surprised me. They've come out six runs last night, I believe seven, night, seven runs the night before. It's just been all offense for the Crabs so far, and it's been very successful for them. I don't, I'm kind of shocked at that. I wasn't expecting it. Although they are coming out and proving me right, like I said last week's show, that they could be a surprise team here. However, as we'll talk about in just a second, Friday night didn't go so great for them. I mean, how that game ended, it's the disappointing at best, uh, you know. So Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I just think that... Um... You know, Southern Maryland it has a chance to be one of the best teams in the Atlantic League. Uh, we talked about that in the preview a little bit. They have the talent to do it. It's a question of can they put it all together uh, and, and make it work. Exactly, yeah. The thing that shocked me, though, was the following night's game. I think we've touched enough on it. I Sugarland, I chucked up their bat day to just have a ceremony before the game. Not only that messes with you a little bit, you go out onto the field ready to play, then you have that, and then it's just hard to get into a groove from there. So I don't really, I don't mind that loss. Plus, they came back the next night, they got a win, a hard-fought win, too, at that. I don't put much stock in that loss. Plus, you're going to lose games throughout the year. Uh, it was 9-1 final, my mistake earlier. So 9-6, and six, respectively, that's a lot of runs scoring there. And, and, I mean, the thing that shook me on this was uh, the starting pitcher for Sugarland, because I think now we can safely go ahead and adjust over onto Friday's slate of games. I think, right. once again, we've talked enough about opening day. It's just a struggle with the starting pitching in Sugarland. Now, they still managed to get a win on a walk-off pop-up, <laughs> which is the first time I've ever seen that. That's all you need, man. Walk-off pop-up. Like, I've seen that happen when you have a, like, it's second baseman going back here, but when it's a pop-up directly over the pitcher's mound, and it's sky high, and the guy's underneath it, and he just misses it. That's, I mean, I knew third base was going to be shaky for them with Frank Martinez there. Yeah. I mean, he's serviceable enough, but, You'd like to have someone slightly better than him. Uh, it's just, I don't really, I don't love that there. That's a terrible way to lose a game, especially when you blow a 6 nothing lead in about three innings. Yeah, when you, when you blow a big lead like that, that is demoralizing. But I think it, it does show that Southern Maryland's ability to kind of get out to that lead is a good thing. It shows, you know, how powerful their offense is. But Sugarland, uh, you know, it shows how resilient they are, and they're still the best team, one of the best teams in this league, because they're able to fight back from that. You know, it takes a... And that shows a lot how the the veteran presence is mm. in that locker room. A lot of younger teams aren't going to be able to kind of come back from that. Uh, and and Southern Maryland, uh, you know, definitely got hit in the mouth a little bit when Sugarland oh, yeah. comes back, and then they, you know, they 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 lose in the walk off pop up. That's rough. Exactly. Yeah. No. I it was just kind of a rough going there. Plus, 
the role that you then see really take effect is the three batter role. Yeah, that was yeah. one where it's like they wanted to get him out, but they just couldn't get him out. And that's rules like that are really going to affect play as we go on later in the year. Because if you look at the box score, the starting pitching was fine for South Maryland. It was just going pretty good. It was not uh, any sort of concern there, which is kind of the opposite of Sugarland when you get down to it. Sugarland was uh, not doing great in the starters category. But if you look at the pitching staff, there, yeah, Stem started, correct Stem, five hits, four strikeouts, no walks. You know, a solid day, good day, six innings of work, a quality start from him. Mm-hmm. And then you see Kelly come in, and he gives up four earned runs in the third of an inning. Yeah. Three hits, one walk. I mean, you let everybody come and just use him like a carousel. I mean, that's now you're going to win games, and that started everything going wrong. Thorpe came in, he couldn't stop the bleeding. And then they had to go to Al-Hajj Muhammad, who then kind of settled things down. I mean, he still gave up one run, yeah. but he did that in an inning in the third, which wouldn't have been a problem if Kelly was able to handle himself and give only one. Yeah. I mean, Latos comes in and then he gets tagged with the loss, even though I don't really feel like that's on him. That run was unearned because it was reached on an error. Walk-up pop-up. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, that's not really on him. You expect your guy to get that. Plus, there was some complications in the outfield where he had reached on a triple, which could have been a home run, but they weren't sure, and Silva and Vaughn had confusion out there, and then they eventually managed to get it in. Really, you could argue, if they had better managed that situation, that guy's on second base, now there's only either a guy on second and a guy on first, or the guy is at the corners. Yeah, I mean, so, and probably would have just be, been a guy on second because of pop-up, you know. Yeah. Typically, you're not trying to advance on pop-up. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, no, I thought... Well, actually, there was two out. Right, two out, so, yeah. So, for, yeah, that's, so, even if it falls, now you see the pop-up guy's not running as hard to first. Nope. Exactly. Right over, out. Yeah, so, I mean, I think that's, uh, you know, that's a difficult situation. This is a hard way to lose. You know, you got to feel mm. bad for Matt Lintos, too, in that situation mm. because you come in and you get tagged with a loss for that. Oh, goodness. That's rough. Which goes to show why you shouldn't count win-loss record as anything meaningful. Especially if a guy's pitching in a relief role. Yeah, no, you can't be doing that. It's just, it's a tough way to lose, and I feel like that's on Martinez, so you have to get that. Oh, yeah. That's a play you have to make. Like, I understand it's difficult, you have light and whatnot, but it's a routine pop-up. It's just, it's literally two hands, get underneath it, squeeze it shut, and go to extras. Catch the ball. Exactly, which... Overall, though, you just shouldn't put yourself in that position. No. Uh, when you have a six-run lead, you cannot then do absolutely nothing with it. You went into the bottom of the seventh needing just nine outs with six runs. You could have, as long as you got through one inning, you could have traded a run for an out the rest of the way and still made it to extras. Yeah. And they just couldn't do that. And so that's why I think that uh, three batter minimum is going to be a really important thing because you just can't go out and get your guy. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I, I saw it as a problem early on uh, when the rule first came out, but I didn't think it would make that much of a difference. But especially now, I'm seeing it where there's no there's no way to have you know one guy come in, uh, struggle a little bit with one batter, and then say, mm-hmm. okay, he doesn't have his stuff today, and be able to take him out. And then you know, obviously, um, you know, obviously, then he you know if he loses, uh, if he loses him, he gets a hit, you know, gets a walk, you know, and then you know you have another batter come up, three batters. All of a sudden, you can be down 3 nothing really easy, you know? Oh, yeah, no, you easily could do that. I mean, plus, with the lack of mound visits and whatnot, that really does affect some more things here because you go ahead and you you can't go out there and at least settle the guy down and go, okay, just focus on getting through this, get through it, you know, right, this yeah. is what this guy's going to do, just get him on the ground, we can get two here, we'll trade the two outs for the run, and we'll still come away fine here. Yeah. It's 
it really is seem like the roles are less about, and this kind of goes to the broadcasting with the flow, but it really goes to show that I feel like these roles are more predicated towards creating more offense than it is continuing game flow, I suppose. It really is, I'm not sure if I like that. Yeah, no, it's definitely what it is, and especially with the, the, the you gotta be, you gotta have two guys on either side of the second base rule, and definitely, um, with the, you know, three, you know, batter minimum rule. That is, I mean, those are created so offensive players can have an easier time. I and mean, that's, uh, that's what the rule is. I mean, you could say it's game flow and it's time, and you spin it every, any way you want. But it really is, at the end of the day, it's about offense and trying to make, uh, scores higher and games more exciting, and they think that's gonna put, more uh, people in the seats and sell more tickets. That's it. I mean, like, it, I just, I'm fine with that at a certain point. However, I, like, I'm fine with the three better minimum. I can live with that because I think it adds some strategy to the game where you go, okay, do I really want to bring this guy in? Is this a risk I'm willing to take here? And I'm at that point, you're fine with it because you have a six-run lead. Uh, that's just bad pitching. Uh, there's not much of yeah. an excuse for it. Everyone has a bad day, so, you know, you can let it slide, but still... Uh, it's just, I would have liked to see them at least let them get one mound visit from somebody. Yep. Instead of having as it is. Yeah. So that's just something to watch. I, I think that could be really important come the postseason. If this happens, all of a sudden now it's okay. Maybe I made a mistake by not getting them where I did or putting them in where I did. You know, it becomes a lot more strategy. I also think it's going to make starting pitchers have more of an important role because you don't want to put that, you know, that relief pitcher in and have him struggle. I think you're going to see starting pitchers going longer into mm. games because I would rather trust this guy to get, <laughs> you know, three outs than this guy who's got to face three, three batters and try to get three outs. Exactly. Yeah, go with what you know unless he's really at the end here. Yeah. Which I think that's a nice segue to talk about Sugarland starting pitching. That has had a bit of a rough go of it. Yeah. Three and a third, six runs, and then Connor Wade, who in our preview, we were fairly high on. We were, yeah. Because he should be a very good pitcher. He goes five innings, gives up five earned runs. Bit of a rough start there. I mean, the bullpen then locked down only one run in four innings. So a solid day there for the bullpen. They actually only gave up two hits in, in that time. So they managed to just snuff out any offense from Southern Maryland there. But this could be a concern going forward. Agree? Uh, yeah, I think it's a little bit too early to say it's a concern. I think that... Um, you know, Southern Maryland's got a good offense this year, a much better one mm-hmm. uh, than they did last year. And so if you have uh, a guy who's used to, uh, you know, not used to the league or not used to throwing to a new, this new revamped Southern Maryland team, you got to give it some time, let everybody kind of get comfortable, settle the waters. Uh, and then once, once that happens, we'll see where the chips fall at the end of the day. Yeah, no, I think it's... Uh... Like I said, I'm just kind of throwing it out there to get something going here, but yeah, I agree with that. I think it's, it's a bit too early, although two bad starts back-to-back is a bit concerning. Yeah. I mean, if it keeps happening, if they go out there today and regardless win, lose, or draw, you have another bad start from your starter. Now, I know it's three different guys, but it's still three bad starts in a row. It's something you got to kind of look at and go, okay, maybe if they... We go through the rotation again. They all have another bad start. Now it's something I got to start worrying about because there's only so many times your offense can bail yourself out. I mean, they got lucky with a couple of errors and just some miscommunication. That's the only reason they really got away with what they did and got their seven runs. They face a better team. They can, they do that against the Somerset. They do that against the Long Island. That could be a major problem. That or, you know, if Martinez is able to just squeeze it, now we're going to extra innings and it still kind of leaves it up in the air. It's going to be something if it doesn't clear itself up fairly soon, you got to worry about. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm interested to see whether it's actually uh, Sugarland pitching or is it just uh, the Blue Crabs offense. If it's the mm-hmm. Blue Crabs offense, then we're looking at, you know, a juggernaut team here offensively. If they can continuously, I mean, obviously they're not going to score, you know, six, hmm. seven runs a game, but if they, you know, they're able to put up four or five runs a game, then you're talking about a pretty good offense. Um, so especially, you know, early in the season, I like to kind of wait and see, you know, two starts back to back. It's interesting, but I think, you know, once we get, get into the season a little bit more, I think I'm not too worried yet about Sugar Land. But, hmm. you're, but you certainly make a valid point that if it does continue, we're going to have a serious problem on our hands with those predictions, man, I say. <laughs> yeah, no, that will be a major issue. The only reason why I'm really concerned about it being the pitching and not the offense of South Maryland is just because when you look at last night's box score and you see only two hits and four innings when the bullpen comes in, it really makes it seem like, okay, you know, maybe this is a problem. Now, of course, if you do look at the box score, it's two runs in the first, and that's just a home run that happens, and then it's the fifth thing where it kind of goes a bit off the rails. Uh, you could say, okay, well, a home run happens, and then it's just a bad inning, which is a reasonable explanation for it, but even still, you go, well, still, four innings, no hits, compared to, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I think the bullpen is just good. You know, yeah. I think Jiggerland's bullpen is just good. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that says they're starting pitching last couple of, last couple of games was mediocre, but you know I, I think that once once they get there, you know, like mm-hmm. I said, once they get comfortable, once everybody kind of gets into the rhythm, you know, starting pitchers are creatures of habit. Once they mm-hmm. get into the routines, we'll see how things kind of shake out uh, a little bit later in the season. Yeah, I think that's a pretty reasonable take to have. And so with that, let's go ahead and take a look at some of the other games that happened yesterday. So we'll go ahead and say, oh. We'll talk about the rainout game first and get that out of the way, and then we go to uh, the other games that happened. I know I was watching Sugarland for the most part, so I may not have much to say on the others. Yeah. But uh, Somerset, New Britain, that was rained out. It's a doubleheader today, 4 o'clock and 7 o'clock starts, respectively. If you go, you get a magnet and a drawstring bag. So oh, there you go. if you're listening this day of when it first comes out, rush over there, you get it. Uh, anywho. We'll move on to the actual games that happened now, <laughs> which was kind of hard because everything else was on the East Coast here, York, Lancaster, and all Somerset. So they all had to deal with very heavy rain, yeah. which I was kind of surprised the other two were played. I was not expecting them to uh, actually get played. So we'll go ahead. I guess we'll start with High Point making their debut hey. and getting a win. Very shocking there, which High Point, appreciate the comment on the post. Like that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you to the Rockers. I like that. You're proving me wrong at this juncture. Yeah, they proved us wrong in that game one out of the gate swinging. That was that was an impressive showing from them, too. Yeah, I'll come up with some nice offense there. Really got going. A bit later in the game, the offense was really started moving. Yeah. But more impressively, they kept Lancaster to just one run. Yeah, it was and, really impressive. And that was something that was nice. That's the one thing I was like, okay, they don't have any game breakers here, but they got some decent bats there. Yeah. So I was a bit, uh, I was shocked at the seven. Yeah, but, I was shocked at the seven. That's a big number. But you know what? Like you said, but you know what? I, I get, maybe you're proving me wrong here. Uh, yeah. I think a lot of it has to do with that energy, uh, you know, that, yeah. that, that they have. That first out of the gate bit. Yeah. yeah, and I saw there's some people from High Point that came up to Lancaster for the game, too. Right. So it was very impressive. I mean, not much going in the early going. The first third of the game, one run, that was for Lancaster there. But, uh, then from that point on, it was just all. All high points. All yeah. high points. So that was very good there. Uh, Sanford had a good game on uh, the Lancaster side of things, and 
that was about it. Like, if you really look at everything here, outside of Sanford, there was nobody else that really just lit everything up, at least from the batting angle of uh, Lancaster's side, which is a bit concerning. Well, again, it's the game one, so it's very hard to go ahead and get a bunch of takes on it. Right. It's game one in the rain. It's, you know, on a wet field that probably has a lot of speed dry on it. It's just not, you know, it's not ideal conditions there. Yeah, especially in the batter's box. That's tough. That can be tough in terms of uh, footing. You need to be able to rotate uh, through the baseball, and sometimes that's hard. But it seems like High Point had no problem rotating through the baseball, so who knows? Man. Exactly. Yeah, plus, only two earned runs for uh, of High Point's runs. Only two were earned. Right. So yeah. conditions definitely helped them out here, but at the same time, everyone played in the same conditions. So yeah. you take advantage of what you get. Bullpen again was pretty good for uh, Lancaster. This is something that in the preview video we put out on the Indie Ball Report YouTube channel, Indie Ball Report YouTube. It's easy enough to two and two together. You'll find it, or just look up Lancaster Barnstormers on YouTube. It's one of the first things that comes up. Enough self promotion here. Uh, the bullpen was very good. Uh, it's something we expected. Granite says the like submarine sidearm Chad Bradford like mm-hmm. guy. He pitched good in the two thirds. He was asked. Marksbury comes in. Although he gives up an unearned run, he only gives up a hit, strikes two out, solid performance from him. Uh, Brian Harper had some trouble, but again, none of the, earn- none of the runs were earned, three base runners on his watch, so I mean, you could put that against him, but, you know, it's still, and then Anderson pitched fine. So, overall, so far the bullpens in this league look like they're doing pretty good. Uh, that's to be expected. It's easier when you only see a guy once the rotation, but even still, it's something to watch. I I like the bullpen, but it could be interesting to watch. Meanwhile, on the flip side here, Landor for High Point played very well. He did, yeah. He had a very good game. Pair of ribbies, he drew a walk, three runs scored, batted 500. You can't really ask for much better performance. No, you can't. Uh, Gomez also played good for RBI, batted 500 as well. Yeah. Again, solid performance from him. Really, if you look through the whole batting rota- batting lineup, it's just solid. They're, everyone played pretty good. Uh, I believe everyone got a hit that played, or at the very least scored a run. So it's just overall solid for High Point to this point. Uh, yeah, I mean, for a game one, you couldn't, couldn't ask for anything more than that, right? You yeah. come out, score seven runs. Yeah, like you said, the conditions were a little sloppy. But even even with uh, Lancaster's bullpen being pretty good, the, the Rockers were able to get out to that lead, sustain it, uh, and pitch well enough to, to you know get the win. So, I mean, that's all you can ask for in game one. Exactly, yep. And the only concern I have, the only thing I'm taking away here, is Sergi took a lot of pitches to get through four innings. He was not very efficient. Four walks, three hits, and earned run. Four strikeouts in four innings. It's a lot of pitches you're throwing there in that time frame. So that's something that that he's going to have to get better with. Uh, It's just not very, it's not very efficient. You need to throw better. Yeah, he wasn't economical, but again... First game in the rain, and these things do impact, especially pitchers. Uh, you know how you're landing, how you're planting. You can throw a lot mm-hmm. more balls. Uh, you know, not planting and landing where you want to, and not getting grip on the baseball as well. That can make things more difficult. So it really is just a matter of, of the elements, I think, for that first game. But like you said, I think there are still serious questions uh, about the Rockers. Not to get put too much mm-hmm. of a damper on, but there's still serious questions about. Uh, how many games are going to lose here? Exactly. I mean, it's hard to tell much off of one game. Yeah. I mean, we're trying to talk about a lot, but at the end of the day, it's one day in the rain, and anything can happen for the rest of the way. Oh, we'll yeah. get a far better picture a month from now yep. as to what this team looks like. 
but if it keeps going like this, it looks like it's all aces here. Oh yeah. Of no course, man. they have the misfortune of being in one of the tougher divisions with Long Island and Somerset being the heavy odds-on favorite to take the division both have. So they'll have a bit of an uphill battle, but anything is possible. It is baseball. Oh yeah, no doubt. So talking about Long Island, let's continue on to Long Island for the final game of Friday, where the Ducks just well, they stomped on the Revolution 12 to 3. Yep. It was just all Long Island from really the third inning on. Six innings when they really broke out. Six runs, six innings for Long Island. At one point, York was winning three to one, but that was quickly uh, disbanded. Yeah, like that evaporated pretty quick, right? Yeah, it lasted for a little bit, but then it went away as quickly as it came. We look at the Revolution do first. Bass is really the only one with a nice stat line. Everybody else. Mm, leaves a bit to be desired. Tough day, yeah. yeah. Nash did go three for three, so that's good, but if you go three for three, I suppose you're doing your part, but you need to do more. Coronado, three for four, two for four, that's fast, but he drove in runs. Some guys were getting hits, but there was just parts of this were, this lineup that just weren't doing their job. Yeah, I mean, I think that's it, and I also think, uh, you know, just talent-wise, the York Revolution just don't have the same type of talent that uh, the Ducks have, and I think that was kind of on display. Mm. Uh, you know, I think that was on display. I think Long Island is overall, we've said many times, a better team, um, and I think their pitching staff is particularly really good, but it was their offense that really bailed them out. Like you said, they were down 3-1. You know, you put up 12 runs, you almost can't lose, you know? Exactly. 11 runs after they fell down. Yeah. So it's just, it was basically all Long Island after Dwyer exited in the fifth. Yep. Once again, we see the three-batter rule, I think, really affect things here when you see Maury come in he goes two-thirds of an inning but he gives up four runs and all of those were earned so you can't even blame conditions on that one uh then you bring in Perez to kind of try and get him out of the inning yeah you get out of the inning but it's cost him another two runs so it was was rough there and then Rose is really the only reliever that pitched well for them actually every reliever for them gave a minimum of two runs with the exception of Rosa when you look at the score sheet here and that's a major problem, plus five walks from that bullpen. York's bullpen is going to be something that they need to figure out. Yeah, York's bullpen is something that they need to figure out. But like I said, I mean, to keep my uh, my hot take going here, um, I just don't think York's going to be very good. <laughs> I just don't, I, you know, I, I'm not under the impression that York is going to be very good, and this didn't did not help me uh, to change my mind there. So. Yeah, no, I think you're going to see the teams with the best bullpens really go out and lay up the league here. It's clear that you're expecting your star to get five to six. If you can get five to six, that seems to be the general thing here. Now, obviously, like you were saying a bit earlier, maybe with the three batter rule, that's going to change later on in the year. You can sometimes go as it was in past days, seven innings, eight innings yeah. you want. So that way you could just use one or two arms and pen. But as it stands now, it's still five or six. So that's what Lancaster just has on them. That's why to see York being the odd man out in this division. Yeah, we saw Southern Maryland, while they had problems with one or two arms, the rest of them all threw well, and they threw well the day before. Yeah. So that's probably why some of them were unavailable. Right. Southern Maryland's got a better bullpen. Sugarland's probably still the best team in that division. As we saw, they have a lot of fight in them, and they don't have a say-die attitude even early on in the year. Yeah, I mean, you know, veteran core that wouldn't say no, wouldn't, you know, we're coming back, you know. <laughs> exactly, is that. And then you also take a look at the just the bullpen that's, present everywhere else in the division. It's York seems like the odd man out when, with that lack of game breakers, like we said. I believe we only really noted Coronado and Dotel as like the huge names there. Yeah. 
I, they're going to have an uphill battle. They're going to have an uphill battle. And if they keep playing like that, they're not going to have any uphill. They're not going to have any battle. <laughs> exactly. Plus, you did that at home on your opening day. That's, uh, yeah, that's, a, that's uh, a rough one for the fans. Though. You yeah. feel bad for that. That's a rocky start. Imagine waiting the rain. Oh. You get off to a great start from the second inning. You keep it going. You're like, okay, we're in the sixth now. Dwyer's out. Let's go ahead. Just batten down the hatches. If everyone can just get through it. One running inning. We still got this thing. It's done. And then you get to see a giant uh, six run, and then oh, goose yeah. eggs the rest of the way home. Yeah, that's rough. And the the final is twelve three. That is a rough start to the uh, the yeah. season for the New York Revolution fans. Let me tell you. Yeah. On the flip side, though, Long Island played very well. Yeah, I mean, Lo- Long Island did what Long Island was supposed to do. I, mean, I think that's gonna be the problem. The season is every time Long Island you know beats somebody's doors off twelve to three, we're gonna I'm gonna go. Well, yeah, I told you. And every time they're losing, oh, they're, they're below expectations. So, I mean, that's, that's just kind of what it is going to be for them. Exactly. Yeah. But you sound like you're big league talent coming here. Stephen Lovorn-Dozy had a hell of a game. Yep. A terrific game for him. Three for four, triple, three runs scored, drew a couple of walks all around. Terrific day for him. Uh, you saw a bunch of other guys step up. Den Decker had a good day. Newman Heist had a good day. Lou Ford, not as much. One for six. So, a bit of a rough. Or well, 0 for 6 with a run scored. Rough day for him, but he's a 42 year old guy. So you gotta keep expectations in line here. Yeah. He's still a 42 year old guy. I expect to hit 270 because yeah. he's <laughs> got the results to prove it. But there's that. And then uh, Vladimir Frietes, I mean, we talked about him a little bit, the shortstop there. Yep. He also had a good day. So it seemed like all the guys we highlighted stepped up and did what they are expected to do. Yeah, I mean, everybody, everybody kind of chipped in, like you said, that. That major league level talent that they have on the roster is going to be an X factor throughout the whole season. At, at some point, they're just going to be out talenting some teams. You know, they're going to be outclassing some teams in terms of talent, and they won't win every game, obviously. And they're not going to win. They, you know, they might lose games, you know, because other teams are scrappier and things like that. But if it comes down to just talent on talent, very rarely will the Ducks lose. Exactly. There's only really two teams that when you go talent for talent with them, they have a problem. That's Somerset and that's Sugarland. Yep. And even still, it's a coin flip at that point. Yep. All we've done is make the field level. Yeah. I think that covers just about every game so far. Looking forward to talking about more baseball going forward here. But I think at this point now, we will shift a little bit to the news of things here as we just about covered everything. Unless we want to go ahead and just quickly give a brief preview of what's going to come in the yeah, let's coming, do a little coming attraction. A little coming attraction. Okay, so let's go ahead and take a look at the doubleheader today in New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. So, so Somerset uh, versus New Britain. Still mad I didn't get my peanuts. Uh, but yeah, so <laughs> that's why they're going to lose today. Right. No peanuts. Yeah, I, I think this could be a tough one for New Britain. Uh, you know, I think Somerset really is going to come out of the gates hot. But who knows at this point? Uh, obviously, with the rain out yesterday, things could get kind of weird, uh, you know, in minor league. Uh, we'll see what happens. I'm excited for the games. I do think that Somerset should win both of these games, uh, mm-hmm. as we said, but, however, uh, New Britain is early in the season, and it'll be interesting to see what New Britain has. I think you'll really get a good gauge of it more so uh, in games one and two, because you do have the two games, uh, to see, you know, more so than other games where, mm-hmm. you know, you're just playing one. I think you'll be able to see more of, you know, this is what our bullpen is. This is what our starting pitching looks like. You'll see more of that in that one, you know, two-game sample size than on one day than just a typical one game. Yep, I agree with that completely. I think you're really going to see a more complete team on both sides here just because it's necessity now. You don't have that day off to rest, guys. Like, guys, you're going to be starting. Guys are going to be using the bullpen. 
they're not going to see time in the second half. So it's going to be interesting to see that. Like, uh, I agree with you saying Somerset should win them both on paper. Yeah, However, on paper, of course. Yeah, I, I think there's going to be a split here. I don't see Somerset or New Britain getting a clean sweep here. I'd be more inclined to say New Britain takes the first game and Somerset the second. Uh, it all depends, though. I just say that because I think Somerset's going to hold back their A team until game two because technically that's the game they're calling opening day, which, yeah, <laughs> it's not really. It's not the first game and it's not the game that was scheduled for the official opening day. You can call it what you want, but it's not really. I mean, yeah. I mean, so I think that uh, you're right there. I think it's very difficult to win double headers. I think they're they're hard uh, because, like, for the reasons you're saying, sometimes you're holding the guys back. Sometimes it's more of just it's it's difficult to kind of get refocused and mm-hmm. go play another game. So we'll see what happens. I mean, I think, like you said, on paper, probably Somerset should win both. However, I think there is a good chance that New Britain steals one game. Um, and you know who knows they could, they might take they might take uh, take them both because it's been so weird. <laughs> yep, I mean anything's possible. We saw High Point win yeah. and South Maryland's at the very worst one and two. So yeah, I mean that's uh it's been a lot. So let's go ahead, just go game three in uh, Sugarland. They expect more of the same. Uh, I think the I think the Skeeters kind of pull out ahead a little bit here. I think we finally see them kind of take off here and you know kind of find their groove. I think I expect better starting pitching than they, than we saw the previous two games, and then I expect them to kind of get ahead and stay ahead and win this game pretty convincingly. Yeah, no, I think it's kind of a turning off point here. I could see this going either way. I'd like to see uh, Sugarland kind of jump out to an early lead here and try and break their mold. However, if history repeats itself, South Maryland will get a lead, and I'll just come down to can they hold it. Yeah. And I think the main thing to watch here is South Maryland, can they keep the offense going? I think that's the main concern here. Obviously, guys like Ruby Silva have been off to a great start to the year. Uh, Martinez has hit some home runs despite his fielding error. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it'll just be interesting to see how they respond today. You had a tough loss last night. you got to have a quick turnaround. Yeah, and that's, what, that's another reason why I think you're going to probably take today's game because I think it will be really hard for uh, – for, for the, the Blue Crabs to kind of just turn around and say, okay, you know, we, we lost yesterday uh, in a really terrible fashion, and now we're going to come back and, you know, get back on the horse staff. That's very hard to do. However, if they do do that, then that'll be very uh, good for them, a good sign moving forward that they're a resilient bunch uh, as well, just like the Cedars are. Exactly. I think it's going to be a war of attrition for spot number two in that division, and yeah. we're really going to see that today. And keeping on pace with that division, Let's go over now to High Point Lancaster game two. I mean, I expect High Point to kind of even this back out. I, I expect uh, Lancaster to take this game. I think High Point, you know, probably mm. gonna go revert back to their usual self uh, mm. here, or what 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 I expect their usual yeah. self to be. Um, you know, I think Lancaster's a good team, and I think Lancaster kind of got hit in the mouth a little bit with the rain and mm. the weather, and I think they were probably embarrassed, uh, you know, to get beat like that on opening mm. day on their home field. So. Uh, I definitely think that Lancaster will come out and play better and probably uh, take the W today, but who knows? They know yep, anything's possible. I agree with that. I don't see High Point keeping this up, although I'd love to see them keep it up. Yeah, I'd like too. to see a new team start to win. It would really help build a fan base there that's already existed, but you have an instant winner that certainly increases interest instantly. So it'll be interesting to see. I kind of expect them, especially for the rest of the series, to kind of come away 1-2. Uh, not saying they'll lose two in a row, but that's kind of where I see it at. Uh, it'll depend entirely on pitching. 
I don't see the bats having as big of an effect as conditions are much better today than they were yesterday yeah. and will probably continue to improve. I know there is some rain moving in tomorrow, but I believe it's an afternoon game, so that shouldn't have much of an effect. So it'll be interesting to see. I'm more concerned about the pitching on high point, though. Yeah, I'm, I'm concerned with high points pitching, and I think uh, I think Lancaster will be extremely motivated, too, mm. uh, today more so than they might have been. <laughs> yeah, no, I, you come out of the gate going, it's an expansion team, it's opening day, it's rainy, it's not really a game you get out of bed for. Yeah. I mean, it's opening day, so you get out of bed for that, but outside of that, you strip it away, it's a pretty not fun day to play baseball. <laughs> Nobody wants to play in the rain. Yeah, and also they probably were thinking, like you're saying, this expansion team probably an easy W for them to start mm. the season, and... They got hit in the mouth, you know. Exactly. You know, they got reality checked, and yep. now they got to come back in and uh, refocus. Yep. So, there's that. Now let's go to the final game, York and Long Island. Uh, you know, I mean, this is a, this is one where it's really, it got to get better for York. It's got to get better for York. Uh, you know, I, I think York could take this game. Long Island might get a little bit overconfident after a, a big win, 12-3. to They might get a little bit overconfident on them. Um, and maybe some of those guys that played so well um, in the previous game don't play as well this game, and so you could pos- potentially see York steal a game here, uh, especially this early in the season. I think that's always uh, potential, potentially possible. Uh, yeah. But I don't know if in the long run uh, it means much, but definitely I uh-huh. think that Long Island could lose this game just because uh, we won 12-3, you know, we're good. We're, we're going to beat these guys, yeah. and, you know, you can certainly sneak in a win. Yeah, I can see that, although I, I'd say that games like these matter early on, especially against teams like York, teams you kind of have to beat just because you have Somerset right there. You're kind of already given it's going to be Somerset, it's going to be Long Island at the top. But you're really playing for who's going to be the home team, who's going to be the away team come September. The games you lose against teams like York, against teams like High Point, Lancaster... You know, teams that either are in your division or teams you're expected to be in your division, they're going to come back to haunt you because you're going to, you're kind of expecting, okay, Somerset and Lang, they're going to split the season series or it's going to be fairly close to even. However, there's these games that are winnable games that you need to take advantage of. So I'd say that, but more so on the field play, I kind of expect Lang to come out and just start winning again. York's best option as a starter in Dwyer went. And he pitched good, but then the bullpen failed him. So yeah. it's if the bullpen doesn't get their act together, they're going to have a problem. It's going to be a real rough ride for you. You're going to have a real bad time. Yep. So with that being said, uh, I think we've previewed just about every, everything. Uh, games to watch this week are just all the, your home openers. Uh, High Point opening up their new stadium, first home game for them. Uh, I believe May 2nd, also on May 2nd, uh, Long Island opens up at home, and that's roughly speaking just about it. Everyone else has had a home opener with the exception of South Maryland. That's also coming up this week, but not as much of a game to watch, in my opinion. I'd really watch for Long Island opening up and High Points. Those would be my two games. Yep, definitely. I think High Point opening up will be a lot of fun um, to see the new stadium and see how the players react to the fans. I'm sure it'll probably be mm-hmm. uh, you know, a very highly attended game, well-attended game. Uh, and the same thing with Long Island. I think Long Island's going to be just really fun. Uh, great fan base out there, and mm-hmm. they're going to really come out and support uh, the Ducks. Yeah. All right. So with that being said, we will go now to a seventh-inning stretch, however brief it may be. But <laughs> I feel like it's the perfect segue before we dive into news. 
from this point on, it's going to be news and just discussion talk. So if you came for the actual play discussion, that's all there is for you, folks. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs> but, all right. So seventh inning this week. I kind of want to talk about some pop culture stuff because normally we talk about other sports and whatnot going right. on here. But mm-hmm. I feel like uh, this particular film is big enough to warn a section and it is Avengers Endgame now. I will not be spoiling the film. I'm going to talk about don't more. Don't you dare. I don't you dare. I saw it opening night because I was so terrified of it being spoiled for me. And if it was, I would be so angry after seeing it. There's just so much in this film. I've never seen an actual audience applaud four different times in a film <laughs> until that night. Four applauds and just several just times it just broke out into cheering. So it, it was like being at a sports game, to be honest. It was right, quite yeah. enjoyable. It's one of those films where I'd really recommend going with a good audience because it really influences the film. Mm-hmm. Now, you'll miss a line or two, but whatever. Watch it again in, like, end of May when the crowds die down. Yeah. But any case, I kind of more or less just want to talk about how this is really, like, one of the last huge films, I think, where you really have everybody going to watch it where you've had people for the past 11 years just building up an audience. Because I know, personally speaking, I never really cared about any of these characters. I knew some of them, but I never really cared about them until these movies started coming out. Right, yeah. And even then, it wasn't until, like, 2016, I was like, you know, let me actually see what these are about, see if they're any good. And I started watching them and, you know, actually like, oh, wow, these are actually pretty good. You know, I actually like these. And so then I've just kind of been following along since. And it seems like that's the general path for everybody. And just seeing everything around this, it's just been kind of amazing. You see nearly every theater sell out like that, just overnight. Like, the day the tickets go on sale, websites start crashing just due to demand for these tickets. It's crazy. And it's like, in my opinion, one of the last times everybody goes and gets around going, okay, we all got to watch this at the same time. Because that's kind of died down. Yeah, I agree. I think that it's really interesting when you have a movie like this, where everyone is so interested in what happens, so invested in the characters and the plot. I think it's really interesting that, uh, like you're saying, it's one of those movies that isn't something you would ne- normally uh, think about as a big um, a big film that, that everyone would want to go see at the same time, right? Certain people would, you know, rather, oh, you know, we're very much in that Netflix society. You know, I don't know, watch it in my bedroom, and I don't need to go. But this movie, there's something about this movie that's making people go to the theaters uh, more so than really any film. Something about this entire, uh, you know, universe, the Marvel Universe, Hmm. that makes people go and watch these films more so than anything else, even DC or anything like that. So I think there's a... Uh, a certain allure to these films that, you know, is going to force me mm. to go watch it in a movie. I think also, like you touched on with it being heavily Netflix and streaming now, a lot of it's now, well, I want everything at once. I don't want installments. Right. I don't want episodic ways of doing things, because that's especially pertinent on TV. There's not many TV shows anymore that everyone's like, okay, it's Friday night, we got guys around, we got to watch it. I mean, when you think of shows, really what's left is probably This Is Us, which is a good show, but great for cable, right. or not cable, but for broadcast, and then there's Game of Thrones, which is HBO, so not everybody has it. Right. Really, outside of that, what other huge show has there been in the past five years? Yeah, there hasn't. I mean, it's dying down. People, like you said, they want hmm. the whole season, and they want it now, and then really, when they're done, they want the next season, but okay, exactly. you know, if it's not made yet. But, you know, so yeah, you're right, and I think that the entire Marvel Universe is really alluring, and it's really great 
is really something that is kind of permeated within American culture now. Mm. And it's, it's really going to be a shame that it, that we're going to see, you know, a change now. Mm. Yeah, and I'm, like, again, I don't really want to spoil the movie, I don't want to say anything. But the way it ends, it just rounds off this whole portion of everything that's happened so well. And you leave the theater going, I know they're making more movies. I know it's going to come and it's, there's going to be a whole bunch of new characters. I'm really going to, I'm going to feel the same way about them. I'm going to be really invested in them and whatever happens to them, I'm going to feel the ups and the downs with them. But you've going, you leave the theater going, wow. Okay. With that first half, it's, it's finally done. I knew going in it was over because, you know, critical guys, their contracts are up. They want to do other things. Some of the people, they just, you know, they're tired of playing the same role for 10 years, which is completely right. understandable. Yeah. You know, you want to do other things for your careers. And I'm sure guys like Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Hemsworth, they don't want to be known as Captain America, Iron Man, Thor for their whole acting careers. I mean, right. some of them you see branching off and whatnot. Other ones, not as much, but I'm sure they want other things. Yeah, but sure. That's what they're known as now. And so to go forward and see some guys that have been there for a while not there anymore it's just it's gonna be weird weird. yeah Yeah, you know especially with some of the movies they have coming up here it's gonna be like oh wow i I was expecting to see them there and it's not there yeah it's just kind of weird but it really feels like one of the last times that like everyone said okay we're all gonna collectively watch this is something we all have to watch yeah i agree like the last time i've really seen something like this was probably when Force Awakens opened. Yeah. That had a large swell to it. But even then, I'm not sure I feel like the same swell there. I feel like there may just be more hype around it, even though Star Wars is clearly bigger. I, I think what happens with Star Wars is, Star Wars is all about that fandom that's been there for years and years, mm. and generations of people going to see it. So, But I think for Avengers, especially with, with the new movie with Endgame, mm. Everyone was so locked in after hmm. Infinity War that they're like, oh my goodness, I gotta get to the, the theater mm. right away to see what happened. Because, you know, it's such a heart-wrenching film, Infinity War, not to spoil that one yeah. either, because I'm sure there's some people who haven't seen it. Mm. Uh, but, you know, that's such a heart-wrenching film for oh, yeah. these characters as well, so you'll, so you get there, you're like, no, I need to see the rest of it. Exactly, uh, you're like, what? Get, that's it? Yes, you get a good, now, now the end game came out, and it's, it was the ultimate cliffhanger. It was a really smart, uh, you know, job by the studio to kind of do it in two, mm. two installments. And Stephen McFeely, one of the head writers on that, terrific job writing this, this film. Terrific. I, it was great. Just, it, I can't say enough about the screenplay on it, but, and also touching on just that kind of comparison between Star Wars and Marvel before we just kind of wrap this up because we still have a lot to get through today. But I feel like the MCU has done a lot more than Star Wars ever done. Star Wars has always been clearly geek culture. It's never been something that's really been well respected. But Marvel's kind of taken comic book characters that are clearly geeky. I mean, even like the hardcore comic fans from way back, the 60s, the 70s, days, going back decades, they didn't care about Guardians of the Galaxy. They were no names. Ant-Man, Black Panther, these are characters nobody cared about. I mean, even Iron Man, people that knew the comics knew him, but certainly no one in the mainstream knew him. If you ask mainstream people, they'd probably go, the four character comic book characters I can name would be Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, and Wonder Woman, maybe. Yeah. Possibly the Hulk, just right. because of the 70s. Uh-huh. Two of those characters are really Marvel guys. They really managed to take something that's very niche, yeah. A very kind of geeky thing that, you know, in the 90s I said, yeah, I'm a big comic book fan. And you would definitely be looked down upon. Yeah. You'd probably get that, 
and some flack for it and take it into the mainstream and go, yeah, no, I'm a, fa- I'm a fan of Captain America or to see someone walking around with an Iron Man shirt, you don't bat an eye. You're like, oh, okay, I guess he likes the movies too. Yeah. They've just taken it from this niche thing and put it right into the mainstream, which is a total credit to everyone at Marvel, especially Kevin Feige, Russo, all of them. They managed to take something that was like so obscure, take it and put it into just commonplace, and it's yeah. quite amazing. It, yeah, I mean, I just think that I'm really excited to go see see mm. the film once I, yeah. I get a chance to go see it. That's gonna be awesome. And uh, yeah, no, I mean, I love the whole universe, and I think it's gonna be a, mm. gonna be a, an emotional moment for me at the theater. I I can certainly say that without spoiling anything. It is an emotional ride. There are several scenes that will get you. Yeah, and there's several scenes that will get you the other way, and it's, it's a terrific ride all the way through, and just kind of capstoning everything here with just saying uh, the MCU has certainly managed to change the way kind of a global culture has been. It's definitely made an effect on that, yep, certainly, okay. and I definitely recommend everyone seeing it as soon as possible. It's certainly a good film. With that said, let's go ahead and dive into our usual brand of news here. And just speak a little bit on the news. We'll kind of do this as a rapid fire, but not as high-paced. Uh, we got a collection of front office moves and then some uh, sponsorship news and then things like that. We'll try and get through it fairly quickly, seeing as uh, already we've talked about a lot today. And yep. these things can be very dry, yep. as we've learned. Uh, so front office moves, we'll start with moves in the American Association. Uh, this goes back a couple weeks, but Sioux City's vice president and GM has resigned. Shane Tretz has resigned effective two weeks ago. He held the position for 13 years and has resigned it to take a position with United Sports Academy and Northern Sioux City. The Explorers have yet to name a new GM and has and have begun an extensive search for their new guy. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, this could be something that we need to look at going forward. Obviously, it'll be a good opportunity for somebody to come in and, you know, kind of build a brand there in Sioux City, uh, build their own brand there in Sioux City. And I think, you know, overall, this has been a pretty solid organization, so... Uh, you know, it's a shame that he's he's leaving, but he's moving on to, you know, bigger and better things. Yep, certainly. I mean, obviously, having this kind of a shake-up close to the start of the season, not exactly ideal. Yeah, not ideal. But, uh, you know, it could be worse. Yep. As we'll come to see. It could definitely become worse. <laughs> Any case, let's move on to St. Paul. That just shakes up the front office a bit. St. Heiselman gets promoted to head of sales. He hires five new employees. This is mostly a marketing thing. Uh, so this will be something that fans generally notice. And just, it's dealing with marketing, social media. A clubhouse manager, you probably won't notice that as much, but players certainly will. And they hired a new ticketing officer as well as an account executive. So this is just heavily promotion-based stuff. This is just to get the brand out more, to you to kind of know the brand. Obviously, the Saints are well-known in the Twin Cities there and probably the general region. However, I'm sure they want to expand their reach a bit further out. Yeah, I mean, this is smart. Anytime you can bring in good people, to help with marketing and things like that, it really does help, uh, you know, drive up attendance and really make a big impact on your bottom line, which yeah. is always important to minor league teams especially. So I, I definitely think that anytime you can shake things up and maybe get a little bit more revenue, uh, it's always a good thing. Yep. So we'll head to the Frontier League now. As Windy City loses their GM, Mike Lucas has resigned the position he's held for nearly 10 years, and their season does begin on May 9th, if I remembered correctly. So... Remember when I said it could get worse? Yeah. This is it getting worse. His position gets resigned. Now, this was a couple of days ago, so keep that in mind here. And they uh, they already do have a GM. Their assistant GM, Mike Vershaev, 
is the new GM. He's been there for a good little bit here, so it should be fairly seamless. But still, having that kind of a change at this point, not exactly great. Although I'm sure they were both mics are working hand in hand when building the roster, so that way they kind of know. Yeah, I agree. I think it's tough though to lose a GM after ten years. Always hard uh, in any any type of thing to lose uh, your leader that you've had there for ten years or a decade in place there. So I mean, it, it's clearly something that's going to be a struggle for them to rebound from. But I think overall, like you said, they have a do, they have a good uh, plan in place to do that. Exactly. So I mean, it's they already have it set up there. Windy City is <laughs> certainly capable of handling this. Yep. I mean, it's just unfortunate the timing. Uh, other thing in the Frontier League, the River City Rascals lose their president. He steps down. Uh, Dan Dial, that's a name. Dan Dial resigns his position to take the position, the same position with the new G League team for the Atlanta Hawks in College Park in Georgia. So he does move up here. Uh, responsibilities are just going to be split between the GM, David Schmoll, and front office staff. Uh, there's no news on finding a, uh, new team president at this time, although I assume there's a search going on. Sure, yeah, I'm sure there's a search going on. This is great for Dial, uh, I think, you know, to go to the Atlanta Hawks G League team and to be in that organizational culture will be good for his career, uh, mm-hmm. and I also think that uh, River City will find someone to kind of fill that gap eventually. Yep, exactly. I think this is good for River City and the Frontier League in general, just because it shows you there is a lot of upward mobility here. Yep. Because it starts with independent league baseball, then you go to affiliated minor league basketball, which could then lead to somewhere else in the actual NBA structure, which could then lead you on top of the NBA. So there is a ladder to go here, and if that happens, it just shows, look, you can start here and move up, and that's how you get the best people. Yep. So we'll move on now to the Frontier League draft. Uh, three days ago, what happened? Went three rounds, top pick. Gateway Grizzlies with Rain Leckman. All right. That's an awesome one of their name. Hell of a pitcher. That's a good game. Yeah. Uh, none of the guys really stood out to me, even Leckman. Uh, kind of interesting guys here. CJ Lee, which is a name I thought I remembered because I thought I saw him a while back on Myrtle Beach, and I was right. He last played for the Braves in 2009. So, or Braves organization. He never got higher than Advanced Day Myrtle Beach. Right. So, not exactly the best guy here, and I'm not really sure what he's done the past 10 years. There's no record of it on Baseball Reference, which is pretty good. It's one of the best sources, actually, and one of the ones I use heavily. Um, so, I'm not sure where he went, and for some reason, the uh, Scheisborg Boomers. Okay, I want to make sure I was reading that right. Schomburg. Uh, Schomburg. Oh, well, once again, there you go. I, I figured I wasn't reading it right. I thought it was too odd of a name. But, uh, any case, the Boomers, as I will call them, from henceforth on. And that was an odd pick for you to pick a pitcher that hasn't pitched in 10 years. Yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting, right? With the, with the seventh pick. But, you know, I guess he had a good camp. Maybe, you know. Yeah. And then the only other guy was a 20-year-old outfielder, Fernando Vilgas. He's an outfielder. He's only 20. He's with the Pirates organization, and Gateway got him with the ninth pick. You know, he could be an interesting guy to watch. Yeah, young talent is always good. Uh, you never know how those guys can turn out. Sometimes they can go into the Frontier League or leagues like this and kind of find themselves. So it's certainly a, a good uh, pickup for the Gateway Grizzlies. Yep, and certainly there. It's just hard to talk about this because a lot of these guys, especially when you filter down levels, 
They're kind of no names. Yep. So you know. For now, you know, you never know. They could all they could exactly. prove that wrong, right? Yep. And also, it. there was a recent BC graduate, Boston College. For those that don't know, it's located outside of Boston, but calls itself Boston. The imposters that they are. Right in the Chestnut Hill area. Exactly, right? Chestnut Hill College, as they were to be called. Uh, a recent graduate for there, a second baseman, uh, Anthony Maselli, I believe it is. Uh, he was also picked up, I believe, eighth overall. I do not recall to which team that was, but. I thought that was just a fun tidbit. Any case, we'll move on from the Frontier League and continue on this march as we try to keep it fairly compact here. Uh, St. Paul has a new partnership. It's just a partnership to name a deck. I thought I'd mention it because St. Paul mentioned it. It's with Spire Credit Union. Uh, like I said, they bought the names to a deck, and it just extends the partnership they've had with them for the past 20 years. Yeah, I'm all for naming rights. Just, you know, get as much... Naming rights on just about everything. Everything should have a name, in my opinion. Just throw as much as much money as these corporations will give you to put a name on something. Just take it. Just and Barry contradicts it. himself, saying, I like the ballparks that don't have a corporate name. Just name it now. It. I've just changed my opinion. Just take it. No, no, I'm not contradicting myself. I, I like the, you know, I do like ballparks that don't have a name, but I certainly think that, uh, you, you know, can get the, in, in get the bag when you can get the take, bag. Take the bag when you take the bag, especially in stadium. Uh, All right, we get down to our final few stories here, and probably the most fun. This is from a couple weeks back, and I mentioned it last week that we talk about it now. I follow through with that as the Chicago Dodgers get former Major League All-Star and Silver Slugger pitcher Carlos Zambrano. Big Z. <laughs> he did not pitch from 2014 through 2017, and he has spent the last two years in the Mexican League with Yucatan. There you go. This is great. He's back. He hasn't pitched in the U.S. since 2013, and I imagine the former Cubs great will be a popular draw for the dog. Yeah, I mean, he's always had a, quite a personality. Uh, oh, yeah. He's, a, he's an interesting guy. <laughs> well, if you're on the Azigian Marlins, you know you have personality. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. Um, I think uh, Carlos Zambrano is an interesting pickup. I don't know how well it'll work out in terms of it performance, but it doesn't matter. It's going to be a fun story to cover the whole season for us. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, if he does pitch well, good on him. And if he doesn't, uh, it's okay. I mean, like, let's be honest here. This is going to only result in a win here. Either you get free publicity out of it, which is great for the team, or you get free publicity... And he pitches well. Yeah. I mean, as long as he doesn't completely go out there and make a fool of himself, you're fine. Yeah. Which probably won't happen. No, probably so, not. So, it'll be very interesting to see. He's probably the largest name in the American Association this year. You know, I, I don't think there's anybody else there. No, I'll I mean, look through I, it. But. I mean, he might be the largest name in all of independent league baseball this year. I'm, 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 I'm going out on a limb and say that that might be. Talking bad about Conrad Gregor and Anthony Giansanti, are we? I'm just saying <laughs> Anthony Giansanti never, uh, you know, lost his mind like Carlos Zambrano did in the baseball field in the major leagues. Man, that's a good Fair thing. enough. Fair enough. All right. Let's get to actually a fun story to talk about. The Atlantic League may be coming to Pawtucket. Ooh. We theorized about this back a while ago when we first covered this, back in, I believe, it was episode two or three. Yeah, we did. So, yeah, because we've been covering McCoy for a while now. Yep. Uh, so, six proposals were submitted on Friday, so yesterday. And these are the six. There was an affiliated team proposal, which would be, like, uh, short season A-ball. Yep. An Atlantic League team. An independent soccer team. A USL soccer team, a river hotel, and an amusement park. Now, obviously, only two of these proposals will keep the team. 
like keep the stadium. Right. The team's gone, but yeah, putting a new team there. Yeah, keep the stadium standing. The other four, it's getting demolished. Two to put a soccer stadium there. Two to put a hotel or an amusement park there. That's pretty self-explanatory. Commerce Secretary Stephen Price or Fryer and Pawtuck Mayor Donald Gribben said there will be a direction picked up by the fall. We'll know more then. And uh, obviously, it goes without saying, any team that's going to be handling this stadium will have to figure out the best way to maintain it and to run it. It is a 77-year-old stadium with only one major renovation that coming 20 years ago. So even by that standard, it's fairly old. Yeah, no, it's a very interesting thing here. As we see, there's actually motion there, which is going to be very interesting. Yeah, I mean, I hope for history's sake, uh, the affiliated team or the Atlantic League team is the the decision that Pawtucket makes. I think it would be really unfortunate for them to tear down that stadium. There's a lot of good history in it. And if these teams come in and they're willing to renovate it, just, you know, let them do it. Exactly, yeah. I think it would be really unfortunate. And I I certainly don't think that an amusement park (laughs) or a hotel will add uh, anything much to to the region. uh, It's certainly a cultural landmark there. You don't want to see an old stadium like this get torn down. It's certainly, it's actually a during the war stadium, which is kind of rare to see things like that being constructed there, especially being that, a lot of those uh, materials would have went to a war effort, but yeah. instead they built a baseball stadium with it. You don't want to see something like that that torn down. It's, there's a rich tradition there in Pawtucket of having baseball. It seems like the state would rather put an affiliated team there, I guess just because of stability. Yeah. But then again, look how that happened last time. You yeah. kept it for a long time, and then you lost it. Now, granted, I'm not going to say Atlantic League's any more stable than affiliated, but they certainly seem fairly stable. I mean, in terms of independent league baseball, oh, they're gold standard. Yeah, and so I think, uh, yeah, I, I certainly think, especially for only talking about like a high A team or you know low A team. Yeah, you're not drawing you're ten thousand people. No, you're not drawing ten thousand people, and you're almost on the same level as like mm-hmm. an independent. The only difference is is that obviously you have a little bit more backing from a major league club to be mm-hmm. affiliated. Uh, but by the same token, I think the Atlantic League has a good thing going, and you exactly. know their expansion is continuously growing. And I think it would, you know it would be a really good thing for them to be in Pawtucket. So I do hope it happens for the Atlantic League. It certainly. And there's also some talk of building ballparks in Texas. I think Greenville was one that has a former Atlantic Leaguer JD Drew attached to it. Yep, yep. So that could be something to watch. There, maybe you go ahead, you put one team in Pawtucket, and that would be Liberty Division and Freedom Division gets a Greenville team that ever materializes, but. Uh, just to kind of round this off here, I took an excerpt from the article, I believe it was from the Pro- it was either the Providence Journal or the Pawtucket Journal. Uh, it's linked in the show notes either way. Uh, Victor Matheson, a professor at the College of Holy Cross in Worcester, with an expertise in sports economics, said that the response confirmed that there isn't much interest in McCoy beyond baseball. With an independent league look, an independent league team looking like the most likely option due to the potential having to buy off the Paw Sox to play affiliated baseball. On soccer, Matheson said an owner looking to start a minor league soccer team would normally be better off playing in an existing stadium, such as Providence College's recently opened field. I thought that was just interesting saying that it looks more likely you're going to get an independent league team there, Yeah, just because of rights. Yeah, I think that's very interesting. Uh, You know, the rights statement is, is, is certainly interesting and probably also very true. I think that it's difficult... Uh, legally to d- jump through some of those hoops. And also, uh, you know, I think that, again, soccer 
you know, it's difficult to have a whole new stadium built, and I don't know how much of a demand there is for soccer in that region, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know. Exactly. It's not an area you really think of as a soccer area. Right. It's, plus, it's just a hard time drawing more people for soccer. It's just not the easiest draw in the world. Well, it's not America's pastime, you know? I mean, baseball true, is, true. you know, one of the biggest sports and kind of the key sports in American history, and soccer just has, doesn't have that, that place, uh, certainly, in American history, so I think it's hard to kind of go forward that way. Exactly. I think that's a good way to leave McCoy. And just a little bit of extra cleanup here before we get out of here today. Uh, South Maryland put in a new scoreboard, so you'll get to see that if you go to their home opener or any games during the year. They also renovated their team store and added more protective netting. It's nice to see. It obstructs the view a bit, but keeps people safe, so there is definitely worth the trade-off. Uh, scoreboard, it's going to be nice. It's going to be pretty to look at. Dectronic. Team store. It's a nice team store. Oh, yeah? Everyone likes a nice team store. <laughs> Gotta love a team store. Come on. Yeah. And then there's also a Ballpark Digest article on the Atlantic League opening the year. It's a solid article. I forgot I just mentioned it. That's linked in the show notes as well. And if you got a spare couple minutes, it's worth a read. Yeah. That was interesting. It highlights Somerset going to their 22nd year a bit and also kind of goes over all the offseason stuff. It's pretty condensed. It's a decent little read. With that being said, if we have anything else to add, now's the time to forever hold your peace. I'm holding my peace. All right, and so then with that, let's plug and run. If you want to find us on social media, Indie Ball Report on Instagram, Indie Ball Pod on Twitter, Indie Ball Report on YouTube. Just type it in, it will come up, or just look up our Lancaster preview video. Southern Maryland preview video, which I did mention I was going to cover this, and I'll do that right now. The Southern Maryland video and the rest of them will be up throughout the next few weeks. The reason for this is, apparently, Manor League Baseball thinks I use things wrongly and have copyright struck Lancaster video. Now, that's not true because I used it in fair use. And this has been a problem on YouTube. There's been a lot of claims like this. So I kind of have to slow down here and figure out the best way to do this without getting a bunch of claims. Otherwise, they'll eventually shut the channel down and that will be a major issue. So we're going to kind of take it slow and I'm going to do this the best way I can to still present a good product. Southern Maryland should be up fairly soon. And then sometime at the end of next week or in the upcoming weeks, you'll still get the previews and whatnot. They'll be a little out of date, but you'll still have them. So that'll take some time. Just wanted to cover that real quick. In any case, so you'll find that on the YouTube channel. You want to read articles, you want all that good stuff, which will be really ramping up in the next few weeks once we start getting into all the independent league seasons. We'll probably see some power rankings or something like that. I don't know. I'm, I'm not in charge of that. Oh, yeah. We have power rankings. We have good articles uh, kind of about players, and we'll highlight certain teams that I feel that are doing really well, and also um, what the, continuing on uh, who's going to win the championship and things like that. Uh, we'll keep talking about that throughout the year. Yep, and a potpourri of, of various other things. Oh, yeah. That's all on the website, www.indieballreport.com. You can find everything there. Show, show notes, all that jazz is on the website. And with that, that's everywhere you can find it. I'd like to thank the people that have already rated us five stars on iTunes. That's much appreciated. And I'd like to encourage everyone to continue to read us on your podcatcher, which could either be iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podomatic, or TuneIn. All of these places you can find us, Spotify as well. And if you find us there, you listen, you give us a good rating, we like it, helps us grow and do the whole thing, we appreciate it greatly. And so with that, you know everything about us. Please tune in next week, but until then, don't forget to go out and play ball. <laughs>